We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You guys know where to follow me. I'm verified. You're right. We are talking about that all the time. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that's CKID206. And we have a special guest with us on the line to kick off our YouTube channel version of the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Thank you for everyone to tune in for the visual version. Uh, of the show our guest covers the seahawks for nbc sports northwest does a great job one of my favorite people to hang out with at seahawks games and um when we used to have access to the media room we have the homie joe fan uh, on the line joe what up man hey fellas how we doing it's good to see your smiling faces hey guys i'm just saying we're in phase three now it's almost hoop season here in seattle <laughs> i don't care if i gotta put a mask on i'm ready to hit some threes again man it's good to see you both i appreciate you having me Speaking right. of hoops, though, we gotta we gotta get this Seahawk one going, man. They keep ducking us, man. Bobby's afraid. <laughs> Bobby's afraid. So, like, to be clear, before we get into anything else on the show, like seeing Joe's strap, so like, Joe can shoot. For ladies and gentlemen, don't know hoop with Joe. Seen I've hooped with everyone in the media room for the most part. Tim Booth, I think Joe. Uh, ben Arthur, who's uh, leaving us now, but like I've hooped with everybody. I know who can hoop in the media room and who can't for the most part. I have confidence in us. A lot of my confidence comes in Joe's jumper because I know he will hit some threes in Bobby's face. So Bobby, Quandre, John Arsua, DK, uh, Russ, whoever wants Tyler, whoever wants to smoke, we are ready. Just put put putting that out Bring there. It. Uh, but right. uh Joe, I don't know if many people noticed that in addition to being a Seahawks beat writer uh, for NBC Sports Northwest, you are also jo uh, Jamal Adams' arch nemesis, right? And it's a story I love. I love this, like, little subplot of the 2020 Seahawks season. Can you tell everyone who doesn't know, like, how you became Jamal Adams' biggest hater? Man, I, and with no intention— of doing so, I did become I did become Jamal Adams' biggest hater. Uh, I'll try to tell his story as quickly as possible while adding the details of what makes it so kind of unique and outrageous. Started on a Friday before the Philadelphia game, and throughout the season, Jamal Adams he's he had ups and downs in coverage, and there were moments against Julian Edelman in Week Two, and then Stefan Diggs in Buffalo. I mean, there were just moments where 
you say, man, this guy doesn't look as comfortable in coverage as he was in years prior. And his PFF grade reflected that. It was like 30 points lower than what it had been the previous two seasons. And so my thought was just to ask him how he felt he'd been doing. And I anticipated getting the, you know, yeah, I've had some uh, some plays I want back, but, you know, I'm getting used to the scheme, getting settled here, feeling comfortable. Things are getting better every week and the best is ahead. Just something stock like that. And that's not what I got at all, because clearly we found out that day. We learned a lot about Jamal Adams in those two weeks, but we found out he is very much in his Twitter mentions, reading every comment from every troll Jets fan who wants to call him Blitz Boy and tell him he can't cover and calls him a linebacker and all that. And he took the opportunity to take my question and speak to me, to all the haters uh, out there in his Twitter mentions. And he responded with, oh, my gosh, I got one bad play against Stefan Diggs. And now nobody thinks I can cover and And I was like, whoa, that's not what I was (laughs) suggesting. That's not the avenue I was trying to go. And I wrote my story accordingly. I said, like, this isn't the end of the world, but there might be something going on here. And like, this is, these are the reasons why this might be happening. And Jamal Adams, you know, got defensive and and kind of jumped on me about it. Um, And then he saw that, that I said he was defensive. And so Sunday after the game, when they beat the Eagles, Jamal Adams had a really nice game. Uh, the whole team had a great game. I and mean, that was when uh, DK went off on them for the second time in Philadelphia. Um, and so how, how the Zoom meetings work for media after games, like everyone's been on a Zoom meeting, 10 million of them this last year. But in the chat function, you put your name in, like, I have a question. And the PR team goes down the list. And the, the interviews are, are pretty short post game because they try to run through players, uh, especially after wins. And so Jamal Adams, I think, you know, let's say they go, all right, Michael Sean, last question. Man, I don't know if it was you or not, but for this, the sake of the story. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to get him asking a question because I'm behind the list. And so I'm like off doing other things. Post games are hectic. I'm on a word doc looking something up. I'm looking at numbers. I'm looking, working on a story. Um, and so anyways, I hear just kind of not really paying attention, but I hear, yo, Mr. Joe, Mr. Joe. And I'm thinking to myself, it's like kind of comes together slowly. And then like all of a sudden, you're like the light bulb goes off like, oh, God. He's talking to me. I am the only Joe on this call. And you're like, oh, here we go. He's like, well, you don't got a question for me? I was like, well, I didn't get to ask you a question. I was like, what's going on, man? What's the deal? Why Why are you so salty about this? He's like, oh, I don't get salty. I don't get salty, brother. I don't get salty, brother. Uh, I don't get salty. Um, and I was like, bro, you are the saltiest. Like if there was like a dictionary, like urban dictionary for like what it means to be salty, it's just your image there. And so I asked him like whatever BS question. He's like, I want you. I'm talking to you. Like he got, it was all in his bag. And so like, my God, my phone's blowing up. Everyone's like, why does Jamal Adams hate you? What did you do to Jamal Adams? My, all my haters came out on Twitter. were like, take that, Joe, you suck. <laughs> Jamal Adams owns you and I was you know so I was like wow that uh, got out of hand quickly um, and then the next week I took the opportunity to call him Mr. Jamal um, and ask him a question I don't think he uh, appreciated uh, because he was going he'd just broken the sack record for a defensive back he broke Adrian Wilson's record got to nine and a half um, and he had said when someone asked him about it you know he kind of made a comment of everyone counted me out and look at me, here I am. And I'm like, bro, come on. Like, nobody counted you out. Jets fans hate you. You just have to understand that. You are a villain in New York because you were a first-round pick, and you were an all-pro, and this up-and-coming face of the franchise, and you asked for a trade. You are a villain there. You need to accept that. And with that comes trolls that are going to be relentless every step of the way. Comes with the territory. 
but that doesn't mean anyone of note counted you out. You were acquired for two first round picks. There might be 10 to 15 players in the entire league, if that, who are worth two first round picks that aren't quarterbacks. And so like, spare me the like everyone counted you out like spiel. <laughs> so we learned a lot about Jamal Adams, a guy who was very fired up and very into his Twitter mentions, uses it as fuel. And for a couple of weeks there, uh, he used me and actually a couple other questions um, that other people asked to, to speak to his Twitter haters um, through the media. So that was pretty fascinating. And I'm fine with the Mr. Joe nickname. Let's be real. It could be much worse. I'm pretty sure Mike <laughs> only calls me Mr. Joe now. So uh, it's all good. And it makes for a good story. Yeah, no, it's I, I enjoy it so much, perhaps more than everyone else, because like I enjoy psychoanalyzing Jamal Adams with Joe. Like we we just do that. And it's not that we hate Jamal. I like Jamal. I'm sure Joe does too, like watching him play. For sure. But Zero things against Jamal. Right, which is also what makes it so fun. Like, for example, I found a tweet um and I showed it to Joe. It is um Jamal Adams tweets something before the Jamal before the trade. He tweets, um, I remember everyone drafted ahead of me. And Marshawn Lattimore, who's in Jamal's 2017 draft class, quote tweets it and says, bruh, it was five people. Right. But it, was, it spoke to just like how like the chip on his shoulder has to be manufactured. And he needs he needs that, you know, to, athletes will talk about like the media or they didn't believe. Well, now Joe is they. Joe is the media to Jamal. Like if every drops a pass, if he misses a coverage, if uh, Gang Green 29-5 from like East Rutherford is tweeting Jamal, it's now Joe. Like they're all all the Jets fans are Joe, man. That's an honor, man. I don't think any player has nicknamed uh, a media member since I've been covering the team, man. So that's a special honor you got from Jamal. You know, I do. Again, I appreciate. It. Like now, when like, I have to create usernames for something, like I'll go with Mister Joe now because I just kind of <laughs> like the ring of it. I mean, it could have been again much worse. But you know, like it wasn't just me. Like he came at you once when you were like. Hey, did you know? Because he talked about his stylist once. Oh That's yeah. Right. Post game, you were like, <laughs> "Oh, like your stylist picked that out," and he like took that as like, "You don't think I can dress myself? Like, how dare you get off this? Like, I'm a <laughs> I'm a grown man. I can dress." And you're like, "No, dude. I just thought it's a cool scarf. Like, <laughs> whatever, man. Like Brady brought up one time, like, you know, what's your relationship like with Coach Carroll? And he was like, "I didn't yell at Coach Carroll in Buffalo." And you know, it's like, okay, dude, like. <laughs> Like it's, so it's just it, he he has things that are yeah on his mind and when there is an avenue to speak on him he speaks to his Twitter haters and the people who want to get on him and criticize him for different things and uh, I just took I took the brunt of it and that's okay I I'm happy to wear that one yeah now you're one of the people who's built for it in the in the room and it it's it's I mean I don't think Jamal hates any of us but yeah we are the we are the face right everyone who sent him that Stephon Diggs highlight which is really funny that he brought that up unprompted because you didn't about that you know but he knew in the back of his mind like oh that's the play getting dm to me and everything like ah you suck uh so now that's he had to get defensive uh about that uh to put a cap on the jamal thing though real quick how do you think they should handle that you know going into the last year of his deal he considers himself a weapon versus just a safety which obviously means pay me weapon money whatever that is if you're the seahawks how do you go about dealing with that yeah it's they're in a tough spot but this is the spot they knew they were getting themselves into when they traded for him and didn't get a new deal in place at the time of the trade. Um, I also have this random thought, man, like the Blitz Boy nickname. Like that's, that, to me, like, that's like a that's a fine nickname. Like, bro, you're Blitz Boy because you set a record for sacks for a safety, which is why you were worth two first-round picks, which is why you're going to get paid so much damn money. If you were just a safety and didn't rush the passer, you wouldn't be getting this money. Blitz Boy is kind of endearing, in my opinion. Anyways, outside of that tangent, yeah, the Seahawks are in a tough spot. And I do think... 
I mean, we know that Jamal Adams isn't going to play a snap on his fifth-year option. It's just not going to happen, especially after all the injuries he, he played through um, a year ago. I mean, he knows now how fleeting an NFL career can be, and he's not going to play for less than his market value for another season. And nor should he. I have no issue with that. I don't think fans should have an issue with that. I mean, hell, this new TV deal is worth $10 billion annually, $300 million to each team every year. It's just ridiculous. So – like Jamal Adams should get his, and the Seahawks are going to have to make the decision, do we give him his, or do we look to trade him? Regardless, this has the makings of a PR nightmare for Seattle because people are going to just – Jamal Adams will be justified looking for his money, and everyone's going to look to say, we told you so. We told you you should have had a deal in place. This was the most obvious outcome that was coming, and now all of a sudden we have our star player holding out while you guys are playing hardball with a line in the sand of not wanting to pay him money. You're like That's okay with Jadavion Clowney because you gave up a third-round pick, Jacob Martin, um, and Barkevius Mingo. That doesn't work for this when you gave up two first-round picks, and now the team only has three draft picks in this year's draft. So um, I do think they have to make a decision. I think they have to make it before the draft. Um, and to me, you know, you hope negotiations are coming along well, but the longer this goes on, uh, the bigger story it's going to become. And should Jamal Adams hold out, it's going to be a really ugly look for the Seahawks front office who have already been judged immensely, uh, for the trade in general. This would just be an added layer to the people who are haters of the trade to say, yep, you guys are morons. What were you thinking trading two first round picks for safety? Let's transition to arguably the biggest news, the biggest storylines this offseason in regards to Russell Wilson because he's been on, he was on a media tour for about a month, hitting everybody's show, telling them how upset he was and frustrated with getting sacked, being on his butt over 390 times, you name it. Joe, what were your thoughts on Russ's whole media tour? My thought was it made sense. And for the number of, of layers to it, um, you know, I think we all saw him look so miserable in the press box or in the, in the suite next to Roger Goodell <laughs> and Sierra watching Tom Brady win his seventh ring. And he's in his fields thinking, man, he didn't get touched. Is, you know, am I closer to getting my second than I was four years ago? Like, I, I wanted to be the greatest of all time. I care about my legacy. You know, I talk about wanting to play until I'm 45, but like, like, the GOAT conversation is, is pretty much like over. And like Russell Wilson would have to go on such an unprecedented run to get to that level where like, okay, like, is he going to be okay? Just like being a hall of famer, like ho-hum, um, you know, but that's the Seahawks are now kind of getting the double-edged sword of like Russ is a guy who has such irrational confidence in himself and has for so long. And it served him so well through every step of his life when he has been told he can't do certain things because of his height, because of whatever, um, and he has become one of the greatest quarterbacks in football, the greatest player in Seahawks franchise history. Um, but now you look at whether it's wanting to win championships and whether this team is built to do so. It's the respect. It's the the ability to dictate philosophy offensively and him his belief that, you know, he is Patrick Mahomes and just as capable of doing everything Patrick Mahomes does where Pete Carroll says, hey, you're really, really good but you're not Patrick Holmes and we need to have this balance. And, and I don't want to just be this air raid run and gun. Um, and then finally, um, you know, it's the, the ability to, to have an influence on personnel decisions. Like those are the layers. And, and we've kind of known, um, you know, I think unless you have your head in the sand or just want to be ignorant to the fact that there is this fracture that has been building for some time, Mike and his team at the athletic did an unbelievable job adding 
you know, anecdotes and details to, you know, the, the things that we had heard and been knowing that was happening. Um, you know, it's like one of those things that was like to me when I read Mike's story, none of that was surprising other than like, I was like, all right, can everyone just read this? So in my mentions, you were telling me like, I'm like, it's like, I'm the one creating this. And like, I'm just Joe fans looking for clicks and wants to be relevant in the office. It's like, no, why not be, why not choose to be more curious than that? Like this all adds up. And to me, Russ speaking out and yes, yes. If you look at verbatim of what he said, it's not that crazy, right. but this is Russ. This is the most image conscious athlete we've ever seen. I have certainly ever covered. And I'm not sure who you'd find who's comparable. And so the fact that he has gotten to this point where he is willing to go on this media tour and be publicly critical of his teammates and the front office and his coaches, um, that to me shows you how desperate he is for a sense of urgency within the organization and potentially looking for a way out. Um, so that to me was like my initial thoughts, but but surprise was, wasn't any of the emotions I felt to me. It all makes a ton of sense. You opened with the Super Bowl and him in that suit looking really disappointed, upset. I asked Mike this and Joe or Jason Puckett, who you've been on with Puck and Slick on a few times throughout this offseason, pretty much what, every Tuesday, now Wednesday, right? Yeah, yeah. They've, they've changed it on me. But yeah, I love those guys. There was a point where I talked to Puck and I was like, man, that suit on Russ, it looked a little Look a little snug, and I, I asked Mike. I said, "Mike, did it look like Russ put on a little bit of, you know, a little off-season weight?" And Mike was like, "Nah, nah, nah, nah." So I got to ask you, Joe, did it look as if Russ put on a few pounds of that off-season weight, considering everything's going on? He's probably stressed out. Honest opinion here, Joe. Did he put on a little bit of pounds? Because that suit did look a little snug, and I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna be totally honest. I didn't even pay attention. I looked at his eyes and saw the misery of him sitting there in that in that suite. I did not think to look at at his waistline and think if maybe those buttons were getting a little bit tight. Uh, I was vibing, drinking, enjoying the game myself, not having to work. So, um, to me, like he's never been like a super skinny dude. And like yep. you know, you see him walk around the locker room last year. Obviously not this year because of COVID. But like he ain't tiny. I mean, no. he's a little bit. He's he's thick, but like. You know, you see Instagram videos like the guy trains relentlessly. And so whatever he is deciding is the best for his body is where he is. I mean, he's got a whole NASCAR pit crew team like working for him in all capacities and all layers of preparation um, and getting ready for a season, um, you know, from like an hour to hour basis. Like I know and talking to different people like this is how like whether you call it compartmentalizing, like what you call it, like, I don't know. This is not many people can do it. He has every minute of his schedule during the season mapped out like to the minute. Yeah. And that's workouts. That's podcasts. That's rehab. That's prehab. That's everything. That's, that's talk to Trevor Moa. That's all of it. So like, I just like, I can't go down the narrative of he's, he's got too much going on. I think he is just like kind of has this superhuman ability, if you want to call it that, to, to compartmentalize and handle all these different things. And I, of all the things you want to be critical with, Russ, I don't want to go down the out of shape route because I think there are a number of layers where you can be critical of Russ because he wasn't good enough. He does take a lot of his own sacks um, to where there has to be a little bit of a, like a look in the mirror of you know the last eight games, how much of that is on you. Um, but yeah, I can't tell you during the Super Bowl. No, you're good, uh, you know, man. I, I noticed the suit. <laughs> I did. I was like, wow, maybe I'm tripping, but okay. I'm not telling I you did. wrong. You might be right. No, no you're good. It's all, no worries. I do want to see if this whole Russ situation can it be resolved. And if it is resolved, does that mean he stays a Seahawk? Or do you see this ending where, hey, after 2022, Russ is out of here. He's going to be with, you name it. 
I'm hesitant to use the word resolved because that to me means fracture is repaired, bridges are mended, things are hunky-dory, like, you know, rally around together, link arms, and here we go moving forward for the foreseeable future. I think his camp has been noticeably quiet over the course of the last week or so. We heard that Russell Wilson was was pushing for uh, Chris Carson to come back, and we heard the Go Hawks at the end of his, uh, you know, his social media video. We saw the tweets about Kerry Hyder and Benson Mayoa. So I think those are your clues that, like, he feels good about where things are going. I think the Gabe Jackson move was maybe a bit of an olive branch. And if, you know, and he can say, hey, if me saying what I said led to the urgency to get Gabe Jackson, then, like, I don't regret anything. And you know what? That's fine. Good on you. That's that's okay. But, like, I don't think you're going to hear, like, everything's amazing. I think it still depends on this year. And it, it comes down to whether they can win. Winning cures all. And that being said, it doesn't have to be wins in the regular season. To me, they have to make it back to the NFC Championship game for me to feel good about Russ being back in 2022. Will he be here in 2021? I know Schefter left the door open for that not happening and him still being traded this offseason. I, I don't see it um, for so many reasons, but I, I'm not going to go out and say, yes, he's there for 2022 as well. I think that's still very, very much up in the air. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, you made a good point about what Russ said on his on his face during the media tour. It wasn't that bad. Like even the example of, uh, I think it was on Dan Padgett said, hey, Russ, do you want more control of our personnel? Do you want more of a say? Um, and, and Russ is like, yeah, I want to be in those conversations, right? But the implication behind that is that like the people who are making the personal decisions aren't doing it well. You know, it'd be like if, cause Chris handled, I use this example on one of our previous shows, Chris handles the podcast, the editing, everything. If I'm like, Hey Chris, I want to be more involved with the editing, whether this is the case or not, the implication is that Chris is not editing the show well enough or not producing it well enough. Right. So it's not just that I want to be more involved. It's like the implication behind it. And so knowing that he does want more say something that quarterbacks usually do not have, you know, in this league, at least not a lot, unless you're Brady. Do you think the Seahawks should acknowledge that and give him more say over personnel and more say in the offensive philosophy? It's tough because, like, I also think like, you know, and Mike Robinson made this point, like, is Jimmy Graham there without Russell Wilson? Say Uh, Greg Olson was someone who Mm -hmm. Russell Wilson pined for. Um, you know, we've heard the reports that they were, they were pushing for Antonio Brown because of Russ. So like, I get that he might want more, but I I don't think the reality is like, he's just, he doesn't have a voice at all. Um, so I do think all of this, there has to be 
egos checked across the board because I do think all parties involved need each other. For Russ to get traded from one team with limited cap space and limited draft capital to another team that would then have limited draft capital and limited cap space doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless he's able to win a championship in year one or year two, which brings with it immense pressure. He's in a great situation in a city that loves him, and he's so deeply rooted in this community. Uh, and the Seahawks would be an objectively worse team without him, and they would be assuming a rebuild process that, you know, no matter how you lay that plan out, there's no guarantee that it works in any sort of timeline and fashion that you want it to. So I do think there needs to be some concessions on both sides. Um, again, maybe the, the Gabe Jackson um you know, thing is an olive branch and maybe Russell Wilson helping push Chris Carson across the line um, to sign that contract and return to Seattle um, is his way of saying, hey, I'm in, I'm committed. I, I want to be a part of this and we're going to make this work in 2021. Um, you know, th there's uh, so many layers and we know how sensitive egos and fragile egos can be in professional sports. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess that's just a long winded answer of saying, um, you know, I think this is going to be okay for now, but it can all blow up to me in a moment's notice, depending on how next season goes. And um, it, I, to me, that the wild card here is Shane Waldron, and he's going to have to kind of serve two masters. And Russell Wilson's going to have input. Pete Carroll's going to have input, and Shane Waldron's going to have to make it work. But in the in the absence of of making these uh, seismic moves, which they're not going to be able to be, Kerry Hyder, nice move. Gerald Everett, nice move. Gabe Jackson, nice move. But in and of themselves not moves where you're saying, oh, watch out. Now they're a Super Bowl contender that they, maybe they weren't before. Shane Waldron might be able to, to make them that. He might be able to single-handedly raise the ceiling of what the Seahawks offense is capable of. And so um, to me, everything that they've done, a lot of it comes back to him and how successful he can be in really a, a pressure situation for him as well. We gave you the rundown and you're pivoting right into things we want to get into, which is, yes, Shane Waldron with everything going on this wild offseason, considering the fact that Russ has basically spoke his mind. Pete Carroll at the end of the year says we have to run better. Mike and I went back and forth on who we think could possibly come in as the new OC. But then you have to realize, well, if you come in, they're not going to just want to do what Pete says, depending on who they are. Like Anthony Lynn, I thought would be someone that could come in and just do what Pete says. Hey, run the ball. Okay, cool. I got you. Doug Peterson? Nah, not so much. Doug wants to come in. He's been successful as a play caller. He's won a championship behind that. Now you have Shane Waldron, who was an offensive pass coordinator, which I really don't know what that means. I think I have an understanding, but I'm not clear of what he actually did with Sean McVay. Because Sean McVay could have just said, hey, you handle these plays, or you could have been like, you know, run my offense this way. And now it's kind of maybe in that same situation with Pete Carroll, who hey, I'm giving you this game plan, stick to it, or you're going to be out like Bevel and most recently Schottenheimer because they opened up and let Russ cook for the most part. What are your thoughts on this hiring of Shane Waldron as a new offensive coordinator? I think it was a home run, and we can only judge based on perception at this point because yep. we have no idea how he's going to do and There's no track record to say he's done this in this place and this in that place where there was with Brian Schottenheimer. It was much more of a known commodity. But I do think Shane Waldron... From his pedigree, I think that's what I judge the most, who he's learned under, who he's worked with. He's worked with Kyle Shanahan. He's worked and learned from Sean McVay. To me, it's less about what his exact involvement was. And from my understanding was he did have a role on game days, and he did have a significant role in terms of building the game plan. Most of game day and most of that, I mean, it's, it's Sean McVay pulling the strings. And so you don't want to overstate Shane Waldron's uh, role and influence there. But to me, every single person I have talked to in that organization uh, and out, had, he was very highly regarded there, and they were bummed to lose him. And so 
this is a guy who's ready for his shot and this is his shot. I mean, like we all kind of go through that, you know, in any career where you're like, you're looking for your first break to prove like I can do this. Well, he's got that now. And, and again, we, we can talk about the pressure all day long that, that the situation he's walked into. And I mean, there was probably a layer of it where he spent a couple of weeks in February thinking, Oh God, like what did I get myself into here? And with all this Russell Wilson stuff coming out. So um, I think he was a fantastic hire. I think you hope that he's going to be on the cutting edge um, of different um, intricacies and innovations in terms of, of studying offense at every level of football. Um, you hope that there's, you know, a layer of aggression that, you know, he can convince Pete Carroll to be more aggressive on fourth downs. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, the final piece to it is the Seahawks were very good getting vertical in the first half of the season. And when that was taken away, they didn't have a big answer. So there wasn't a lot of horizontal movement. There wasn't a lot of guys in space. And so much of the Rams' success, especially in latter years, was that. It was horizontal and not vertical. It was in an absence of a vertical game. They got guys moving side to side. They got their playmakers in space um, and were largely successful, even with a limited Jared Goff at quarterback. Um, And so if you can bring that to it, if you can get Russell Wilson comfortable in a short and intermediate passing game, to where he's getting some lay-ins, getting some you know silver platter throws that you don't have to think a whole lot because there was none of that at the end of the season. And whether that's Russ's fault, Shadi's fault, a mixture of both, um, the confidence wasn't there. And so you hope that Shane Waldron can implement some of those where you're like, you don't take this play off. You know what you see the read, boom, balls out of your hand. Let that guy go do the work, go get six yards, move on to the next one. Um, I think that will help Russ and the entire offense a ton to where it doesn't have to be this off script magic on a play to play basis in order to move the ball um, because it was just so laborious towards the end of the year. And I do think Shane Waldron can help alleviate that. You know, Joe, what do you think it was like? And I'm sure we both have thought about this for Shane, whether it was when he read our story or got wind of some of the anecdotes in it, just that, because I'm sure he did his research right before, you know, vetted Pete and whatever in the system. But I'm, we're both probably pretty confident he didn't come in knowing everything. So what he was like that, what do you think it was like for him that day? He was like, yo, huh? Russ did what? Pete did what? Oh, like, what do you, how do you think the conversations went with Russ and Pete and everybody after he kind of really understood what he was going through here? And you can guarantee people are texting him like, yo, what's the deal with your quarterback? What's going on here? Um, I'm sure he was nervous to a degree. And I'm, I'm guessing Pete Carroll, you know, his ultimate and supreme optimism said, don't worry about it. Russ going to be here. It's all good. Maybe he blamed you, Mike, you know, and, and blamed, <laughs> me, blamed the media. Um, but uh, to me, like you want to be put in as good a position as possible to be successful, especially when it's your first opportunity. And it's like it's no different than a quarterback being drafted in the top 10, but going to a team, you know, look at Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, those type of guys. Are they bad players or did a system and the, the, the organization fail them? And it could be a mixture of both. I don't mean to absolve those guys from, from everything, but there are layers to it like that. And, you know, Shane Waldron, if you come in and Russell Wilson's gone and they trade everybody, they don't invest in the offensive line, they go into this rebuild mode offense isn't great he gets fired after two seasons and that's his only experience as an offensive coordinator and he says man I was doomed before I was before it started I was set up to fail and so I'm sure those thoughts crossed his mind um, and hopefully now that they're a week into free agency they've made some significant moves and Russ seems back on board for this year um, you know he, he's feeling a bit more settled and knowing that he is walking into a situation again while pressure um, you still 
have Russ, DK, Tyler Lockett, an improved offensive line. Gerald Everett, a familiar face for you. Um, and, and so you look at it and say, all right, this is what I signed up for. We're going to be all right. Damn, I didn't even think about that, Joe. I probably did catch a stray in that meeting. <laughs> Me, Jenks, Mike Sando, I probably did catch one where they was like, yeah, you know, you know what? Who do you who do you think threw us under the bus the most there? Was you think it was Pete, John, Matt Thomas? Someone really was like, yo, it's the media. It was like, hey, yo, this Duger kid, guaranteed they got my name wrong too. Like it was probably this Duger kid. You would think they yeah. get it right. Nah, nah, nah. Everyone gets it. Everyone, everyone gets it wrong. You're right, Joe. I probably did catch it straight there. It's cool though. It's cool. They gotta re- re- respect it uh, at least. I want to get into one of their uh, moves this year, and I, I was the pessimist on the show when we talked about uh, the re-signing of Chris Carson, uh, probably because this requires some context. We opened our podcast last whatever last Friday week that was, yeah, um, telling the Seahawks, hey, we're about to record. <laughs> <laughs> Don't break any news. Right? We waited till the end of the free agency week. You know, hey, respect our show. You know, just open ended. And 30 minutes in, Tom Palacero breaks the Chris Carson thing, and it's like, well, screw you guys. Like, you don't love us. That's fine. Um, so we, I had some of a pessimistic reaction, mostly because um, I viewed the Chris Carson signing and the urgency with which Pete, you know, ha- operated to get it done was like a reinforcement of we're going to do Pete ball. We're going to run it. We're going to run. We're going to run. Basically, screw this cooking thing. I think I've stepped back a little bit off that, but I was really pissed because, man, I just hate recording and then something happens. Um, but where are you at on the Chris Carson deal, both in the terms of the deal, two years, 14.6, and just what that means for Chris, the offense, and maybe even the other running backs like Rashad Penny? Yeah, I'm happy he got paid. Um, I think the creativity in which they got the deal done, whereas cap it's only $2.5 million, um, in 2021 is huge. Um, I think Chris Carson's a really good player. And I think this year they need to get back to at least finding a middle ground to where his workload is, is you know, maybe between 2019 and 2020. They just didn't use him enough in 2020. I get wanting to keep him healthy, but he is your guy. And the offense is better when he's on the field. Uh, and now that you've paid him and he's gotten his money, hopefully you'll feel more com- comfortable doing so. Um, I just don't I, – I am – all on board, the running backs are replaceable train. Um, even one as good as Chris Carson. You know, even look at Derrick Henry and what his war is relative to like Ryan Tannehill. It's like it, when it comes down to it, running backs, there's a lot of them. They're largely replaceable. And if you look at their overall impact, um, they're more irrelevant than not. That's it. I love Chris, and I think he's really good. I think he is one of the better backs in football. I think he's a, a very competent pass catcher, and I think we see what he does running the football when he gets going. And I'd like to see him work with Shane Waldron behind a revamped offensive line a bit uh, and see if he can continue to be a stud. If you're going to be mad at the Chris Carson deal, miss Chris with that and be upset with the organization for taking Rashad Penny in the first round. That, to me, is, again, another indictment of just an absolutely failed draft pick where it was too cute to begin with, it never made sense, and it has flopped tremendously outside of two games. It was like the Philly game and what was it, the Vikings game after that. Um, there were a couple back-to-back. I can't remember. I know it was in Philly, and then there was one more before he tore his ACL. And that's yeah, I think bad it's luck. the Minnesota game. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and that's bad luck. Like, you know, you couldn't have foreseen that. But, like, this should have been the year where you say – Rashad is our guy. He's going to be our starter, and we need to sign guys to supplement that. Alex Collins, great example. But, like, you are now saying that, like, Carson's your dude. And, you know, whether how much Rashad mixes in, whatever, I mean, it was just an awful, awful pick. And there have been so many of them 
to where, and I've written about this a ton this offseason already, um, where that's why the Seahawks are in this situation where they're having to make desperation trades to get Jamal Adams because they don't have enough blue chip talent on the defense and making midseason trades for Carlos Dunlap and Quandre Diggs. And now they only have three draft picks um, and limited cap space. Like that is all a result of drafting horrifically and not just due to like, like I don't even put LJ Collier in that mix. Cause like LJ Collier at the very least going to be a good player. And so like, whether he like it lives up to being a first round pick or not, who knows? Like at least, you know, he's going to be in the league a long time. Like guys who are flat out, Busts, not even in the league anymore, never made any sort of impact with the Seahawks or otherwise. You just can't have as many of those as you did. And, and Rashad Penny was always a questionable move, and it's only aged poorer and poorer throughout the seasons. And, and now it's just further evidence that you know they felt the need to pony up and, and pay Chris Carson because you know Rashad Penny is not someone they want to depend on. Let's stay with improvements to this team or so. They get Chris Carson back. They lose Carlos Dunlap. They bring in a cornerback, a kill, Akello Witherspoon. If I'm chopping that name, I gotta remember how you say it, Mike. Akello. I said it right. Okay, cool. How is this offseason free agency wise looking to you? Are you confident that this team did get better in losing Carlos Dunlap and losing Shaquille Griffin? They still might need a third wide receiver after losing David Moore. They got a little help on the D line. What are your thoughts on this roster as of right now? To me, my my initial thought is like they're doing the most with what they've got. Um, you know, they've made a number of impact signings with upside. Gerald Everett might have a ceiling we haven't seen yet. Keller Witherspoon might have a ceiling we haven't seen yet. Um, those are reasonable flyers to take, especially for the cost. They made the big move and the big investment for Gabe Jackson. I think that's significant. I think they had to have at least one impact offensive lineman at either left guard or center. They might still do it at center if they use the second round pick on a center. Um, but Ethan Postage, okay. He was, he was really solid at times, but too inconsistent. And you hope maybe in year two as a starter, Damian Lewis, year two as a starter, Gabe Jackson, and maybe a solidifying presence on that left side of him, um, that's improves. Um, the defensive line, Kerry Hyder, a nice budget signing, eight and a half sacks last year, was really a nice surprise when Nick Bosa went down. Is he Carlos Dunlap? I don't know. His pass or his pressure rate was better than him last year. Mm-hmm. So maybe. Um, ben Mayo had a really nice second half of the season once Carlos Dunlap got into the fold. Um, so you look at all these moves and I, yeah, I like them. I think what it comes back to is like, are they better than they were last year? And without Shaquille Griffin, without potentially KJ, Wright, We don't know what's happening there. Um, like this is a team that got smoked at home embarrassingly by a division rival in the playoffs. So like how much better are they? And, and it's really going to be all marginal. And so again, this is a story I wrote a couple of weeks ago, like seven players that they're you know really banking on that to me will make or break the immediate future. It's guys like Jordan Brooks. It's guys like Daryl Taylor and Kobe Parkinson and Alton Robinson and Damian Lewis and, and young guys who in LJ Collier. And can those guys make significant leaps? Because if you can't develop the talent that's already on the roster, you're not going to have enough ammo this offseason to bring in enough game changers to significantly change your ceiling. And it's, again, that's also why it to me, it comes back to Shane Waldron of, okay, these are the pieces. And like on paper, is this team that much better than it was last year? The 12 and four bouncing the first round team, maybe you know, a little, but like Shane Waldron might be that guy. It's the Shane Waldron and the talent already on the roster that to me will have the biggest impact on whether they can take a step forward. You know, that's, that's another good point you made about like the moves they've had to make to correct other moves. Uh, if that if that makes sense, like they had to go get Carlos, 
because they didn't develop pass rushers. Right? Even they didn't have they had to go get Dwayne Brown because they didn't find a replacement for Russell Okung. Didn't had to go get Quandre because they couldn't replace Earl. Could you know so on and so forth. But I think with the exception of. Some of them are injury moves. I think uh, the Clowney was probably like, oh, LJ just rolled his ankle, so let's go get a guy. But, yeah, that's a, a really important part of this, you know, a, as well. Uh, and in free agency, I, I try to tell people this. We struggle with this as beat writers. At least I do. I'm sure you do to some extent. We enter this, and people know, they ask us, hey, Joe, what would you do, you know, if you, had, if you were the Seahawks? And it's just like, well, smart football analyst in me says, I go get this high-priced guy, go get Tooney, I get this, and then you got to realize, like, Nah, man, I could write all day that the Seahawks should go get Carl Lawson, and then they'll sign Kerry Hyder, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, wish. let's go with a wish list here. It's February 20-whatever, and, Joe, I make you the president of football operations for the Seattle Seahawks. Congratulations. Uh, how do you go about free agency? So I think this is before, everyone, this is before cutting Dunlap as well. So I give, I, give the, I give you the keys to the VMAC. How do you fix the Seahawks? Yeah, to me, and I understand cutting Dunlap. You know, I think Jaron Reed's another name to watch if they need to save some money. Um, you know, to me, and we saw this on the offensive line last year. We saw on the defensive line last year. At some point, you just got to go get a dude. Like, yep. I'm all for competition and, like, signing 60 offensive linemen and saying a couple <laughs> of them will be good because cream rise to the top and competition Mondays and competition Tuesdays and competition every days and competition, competition, competition. And, like – It'll be, you know, it brings out the best in everybody. Like, all right, well, like you wasted money on BJ Finney. You wasted money on other guys. Like all that money could have been spent on a Joe Tooney. Um, and you look at even what the cap hits were for Joe Tooney and Corey Lindsley, like, especially in like 2021, like they could have made that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the defensive line, it was the same thing. Like they went of this like pass rush by committee. Like, well, at some point you just need a dude. And Carlos Dunlap was that. And he made everybody better. And you saw Jaron Reed, Puna Ford, Alton Robinson, and Benson Mayoa improve once he got there. Like, so like I just don't get this some of the parts. And like I feel like that's where they're trending with a huge gamble on Daryl Taylor for next season. And we already saw the first eight games of 2020. It, it didn't work. Like it's not that like it was like an okay pass rush and then got really good. It was horrific. I mean, they had 12 sacks through eight games. They were on pace to have less sacks in 2019 or 2020 than they did in 2019. And then things, everything changed once you got Carlos Dunlap. So to me, you couldn't have had a more obvious example of like what happens when you just get really good players. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that they cost money and they're expensive and whatever. When you nickel and dime the salary cap, that stuff adds up too. Um, and so if it were up to me, you know, I would have gotten either a Joe Tooney or a Corey Lindsley. Um, you know, I would cut Carlos Dunlap, but I'd be working hard to get him back. You know, that being said, I can't argue with what they've done. Here's my also my other thought that I've been having. And again, Mike, I, we always talk about like you and I text a bunch. We talk about being curious and thinking about what things mean. If if I had a conversation with someone in the building and they said the reason why we didn't go after Joe Tooney or Corey Lindsley is because that's a significant um, investment term wise, length wise. You know, whereas like Gabe Jackson's a two year deal essentially mm-hmm. to where just because you make the moves Russell Wilson wants you to make doesn't guarantee his happiness and his longevity as the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. And to me, it doesn't make sense to have record breaking offensive line deals. If you are still potentially a year away from going into a rebuild reload mode to me, if Russell Wilson next year, they all right, let's say get bounced in the wild card round. And Russell Wilson, you know what? It's time to go. It's time to do this. And they trade him. 
I also think that's why they potentially haven't restructured him yet um, because you're kicking the dead cap down the road. Um, to me, when that moment happens, you want your roster to be as much of a clean slate as possible. And so it doesn't make sense. Gabe Jackson for two years makes a bunch more sense than Joe Tooney or Corey Lindsley for five. I don't know if this is the case. Again, this is just me hypothesizing. I try to be as curious as possible and think through all these things. But like that logic to me makes sense when you don't know for sure that Russ will be your quarterback in 2022 and beyond or potentially sign another extension. Joe, no one's going to get why I'm asking this question, so we may have to explain it for some some people here. But yeah. uh, why do Seahawks fans hate Shaquille Griffin? Bro, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't like ever since the season ended, even last year, like – Shaq gives up one play and it's like this bum, get him off the field. He gets oh. burned every play. Like, you know, it's like all of a sudden, like I, I, he's like a super cool dude. He's as candid as anyone in the Seahawks locker room to mm -hmm. where like, he actually like gives you good material to work with as a reporter. But like, as a fan, I think you would appreciate that. Like you get smoked by somebody like, and someone's willing to say like, I wasn't up for it. We took him away. Like, yeah, it stings. It hurts to hear, but like, it's better than like, you know, we had a good game plan. Just didn't execute. It's like, well, yeah, well, no shit. Uh, I don't know if I can say that. No, no duh. you're good. You're you're good. good. <laughs> um, you know, like, so I always appreciated Shaq for being so candid. Like, dude, embrace the community. Dude, embrace the team. He was all smiles all the time. Like, I just don't. Uh, he was their best draft pick, arguably, until DK Metcalf for like a three-year period. Mm-hmm. Um, like, in that span 2017 draft of they had six picks in the first three rounds and Shaq Griffin was a home run and everything else was pretty terrible. You know, Ethan Postage still kind of unknown. Like, I don't understand why he wasn't celebrated more. Like, was he and like I to me it's people were so spoiled by Sherm as literally one of the greatest corners of all time. That's a brutal, those are brutal shoes to walk into. And I think he had an unfair bar to try to reach. And that's not to say he was perfect. That's not to say he was was an all pro corner, but like you could do so much worse than Shaquille Griffin and the Seahawks might find I mean, God, I didn't like Shaquille Griffin. <laughs> I don't know. Like, look at the tape of Akella Witherspoon. Like, like they're in love. Like, Oh, his PFF grade was great in 2020. Okay. He also was benched like four or five different times, especially and most notably during their Super Bowl run where he spent that game against Patrick Mahomes on the bench. He was in Kyle Shan Shanahan's doghouse constantly and that's not me hating on a keller witherspoon it's a lot to like about him but like this like grass is greener like yeah we got a kello and he's gonna be better than Shaq anyway like wow it's just it's wild to me um and so and i know a lot of fans are gonna be like joe i love him like don't talk to me like that like okay it doesn't include you but like we mike you and i know and chris you see it on twitter like <laughs> there was very much like a a good riddance don't let the door yeah. hit you on the way out kind of mentality. And I was like, I just, I don't get this. And like, that feels weird to me. Um, and it kind of always goes like, it's kind of similar to where like when a player wants money and he's like the greedy guy as opposed to like saying like the team should just pay him. Like people are fans of the team more than they're fans of players. They will be fans of the Seahawks more than they will be fans of Shaquille Griffin in Jacksonville. So like I get that, but it becomes so tribalist and it, it, it reveals an ugly side of fandom that is is really a bummer. 
Yeah, and I don't, my fear too, and this is probably because we do the writing and the question asking, is I don't want players to get scared off from their candor. Because you're right, Shaq really gave yeah. it up, man, for better or worse. Like, if he played well, it's like, yep, I played well, it's great. And if he played poorly, it's like, you know, I played poorly, we didn't do this as a team, you know, like, accountability was his thing. And that, you know, Jay been in the locker room, everybody ain't with that. We get in the cliches, like, oh yeah, no, we just didn't execute. Man, what that mean, man? Like what is what does yeah. we didn't execute me while well, Shaq would be someone like yo, you know I I I messed up here or you know we blew this coverage here you know but if players take if fans take that run with that and just like vilify the guy you know then you get guys who then we're just getting cliches for our sound bites and stuff and it let, doesn't let the player in or doesn't allow the player to like be himself and let us in you know I'm I'm afraid of that because yeah you're right there's really no reason for all of this like good riddance on, on Shaq especially since like. He was like the good cop after the Packers game when Trey Flowers was the bad cop. And then oh. like a year later, <laughs> it's like DJ Reed is now good cop. And then now, like you said, Witherspoon's good cop. And now like Shaq is the Joker. It's very it's a it's a very strange dynamic to have seen unfold, you know, especially online. You know, like I, I don't know how you've been dealing with the fans, but I've had to just like quit arguing with them about it i have to man it's just like i i, I try to say it on my mention sometimes i'm glad you've seen it too because there was i thought i was crazy am i just like getting this perception like and it's just me um so i'm glad you saw it too but you know Shaq, great player i wish him the best i really enjoyed him i mean again it's everyone wants to complain about robot russell and his cliches but then they want to roast Shaq griffin for you know having candid moments and you know i'm very careful to write that like when i write that you know it's not how could they? It's like, yeah, he said this and this will happen. It showed up this way. And like, I'll usually even throw in lines like, or tweets and be like, to be clear, I appreciate <laughs> this guy for saying these things. Right. Um, as opposed, yeah, to try to be like, oh, how dare they? And then kill him for it. So it, it's hard. But it's a lot of times like everybody, we, even we run into times, and I don't want to compare us to Shacker, but like, you know, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, it's like, I got all the time. It's like, why do you hate Pete Carroll? And other people are like, why are you so soft? And it's like, man, like you can't make anybody happy these days. So, like you said, man, you stay out of the mentions sometimes. It's the best move. Last year we had you one. We were talking about Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown because Russ, he, he was adamant about bringing in Antonio Brown. Josh Gordon, of course, had some issues off the field, and we know about A.B. situation. Fast forward to this year. Tampa Bay signs AB. Everyone's like, eh, I don't know if it's going to work out. And everyone, some people are like, okay, AB still has it. Get to the Super Bowl. AB, beautiful route, whip route, touchdown. Russ is up there probably fuming. His ears are flying, smoke flying out. He's hot. You were on the fence of, hey, I understand bringing back Josh Gordon, if I'm not mistaken, but I don't want AB. You know, some of the stuff he's done is just heinous. And I, Kind of don't understand why Russ would go out on the limb for this guy. And here we are again, and Russ is saying, yo, can we get A.B.? Considering that A.B., I'm not saying he's turned a new leaf. I mean, I don't, he's been quiet on social media for the most part. He's a Super Bowl champion. He played a role in that. Are you still on the side of, yeah, don't need him, his personality, maybe he's changed, maybe he hasn't, but I don't feel that the Seahawks should go after a guy like Antonio Brown. Yeah, I mean, I'll make, let's make this clear. There's no fence. I'm out on AB. I've been out and continue to be out. And you hear his Super Bowl presser, and like he's like, it's like he's the victim. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's just like, dude, have some self awareness. How, like, you know, like that's why I grilled Russ so hard. It's like, it doesn't matter how, it shouldn't matter how good he is at football. 
Um, and like, that was what Russ kept turning to. And it's like, yeah, obviously that's what it matters to you. So just like, just say that. I guess my thing about, you know, it's like people want to kill me for that too. You wouldn't say Tom Brady. It's like, I would, I would, if I covered the bucks, I would ask Tom Brady those questions. But like <laughs> we kind of know Tom Brady's moral compass points to his next Super Bowl. I guess so seven. Like, that makes sense. And so like, if Russ is like admitting that like there's part of it, and I'm like, you know what? I get it. I would respect him more for it for being like, it ain't my problem. It ain't my business. If he's able to play, I want him playing for us. And his legal troubles are part of me. But like, if you're going to vouch for him and say he's changed, whatever, like, okay, stand by him. Like, that's my thing with this whole, with this whole Russ thing. And like, I'm all for innocent until proven guilty. There's still a bunch of stuff out there. I get that too. But like, like as an organization, I don't know, like that's, in terms of like going to jail and being a free man. But like as an independent company, why would you want to associate with that person? And it goes back to something we all know is every, we all, every single human being has a value added and a baggage meter. And the second that your value gets above your baggage, you're gone. doesn't matter what, you know, and that, whatever the baggage, whatever the value is. But when you're really good at football, you can get away with stuff, and we see it all the time. You think Tyree Kill would be in the league if he wasn't Tyree Kill? Mm -hmm. Absolutely not, because he's an easy example to make, and like you move on. Ray Rice at the end of his career, Ray Rice is a rookie. Uh, you know, look, Joe Mixon, same, right? Similar thing. Doesn't he have a similar mm -hmm. background? Like, it, it's, it's not rocket science. You don't need to be uh, Sherlock Holmes to figure this stuff out of when these things are like, you know, oh, and zero tolerance, hard line, and when it's like. Oh, the guy deserves a second chance. He's changed all that, you know? So um, I don't know, man. I, to me, it's just like, I still feel super weird about like him winning a Super Bowl. I don't see a guy who is taking accountability for his actions. I'm very curious to see how the ongoing civil suits against him turn out. Um, and again, it comes like, I know exactly why Russ, Russ wants him, but like, just like spare me to like, you know, Jesus forgives, believe in second chances. Like he does, but like that's such an easy way to like give everyone a cop out for everything. Like, yeah. So I don't know, man. I, I could go on uh, like for days. I know we talked that about that. No, that was great. No, that, no, now, that was great, Joe. Thank you. You're good. You know, it's just like I, I frustrates me. Like people want to make, bring religion into it. And it's like, come on. Like, because then you can't argue with that. Jesus right. forgives. It's right, like, can't. you can't argue with that. But like, there is a gotta be a line where like people do bad things and there are consequences. And like, could, I'm not saying the guy should be in jail without being convicted, but like if it was me, like if I had those things, nobody would touch me. Cause I'm like a, whatever reporter like it is like, Oh yeah, he's good. But like, we're not going to deal with that press, you know? So like, again, it's, it ain't consistent across the board. And so, and like, I don't know. Anyways, you know, I, I, I what's, I'm curious to see what happens with Deshaun Watson, because that is an ooh, ongoing, ooh. insane like story that is developing and ain't going anywhere. Um, mm. But I think I just don't want anyone to have blinders about like why some of these guys get second chances and other guys don't. Yeah. That was your big point with Josh Gordon. You're like, why is Josh Gordon? I mean, he just smoked a little weed, which is bad. Absolutely. We get it. The yeah. league has rules, but it, we're talking weed and what AB did. Yeah. yeah. You know, Joe, I think you need, you, you need more credit, man. I don't think, I would be curious to hear from, and not literally because I don't want to argue with strangers too much on this. The people who don't think, like, I understand thinking our media contingent is, like, soft on the 
coaches and players and the questions we ask and stuff like that. I don't know how the hell you get roped into that. Like, I don't get how you and even to some extent, Greg, get roped into the people who are softballing yeah, you ask the these tough questions. questions. Yeah, man. Now I was we, like, damn, Joe, you asked Pete that. I feel you. OK, let's yeah, go. You know, because like, it's well, you know what I'd want to I'd want to put the people who say that about Joe in a room with like the, the coaches who get grilled. And they'd be like, yo, coaches are probably like, nah, 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 man. That Mr. Joe up there in the corner, in the bottom right? Nah, man, he'd be asking me all kind of stuff uh, I don't want to answer, man. Like, so I, this is not a question. But nah, man, you, you should get some get some love there. Because when it comes to the tough questions that need to be asked and the grilling of the people that need to be, to be grilled and, you know, like that, that's kind of your bag. I don't know if you did that on purpose, <laughs> but that's kind of your lane now is tough question guy. Yeah, and I think what I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, and... I feel like I have kind of gained that reputation. I don't like go out of my way to like, I think when, when fans think fans get emotional and they're like, Mike, Joe, grill them on this and that. Like they're just emotional. And they just like, they would just feel better if you are a dick for being a sake for the sake of being a dick, Well, it's like, right, you right. have to be tactful about it. And like, I definitely pick and choose my spots. I don't, I don't approach the job of like being like, I'm going to be the contrarian. I'm going to be uh, the narcissist, like, or not the narcissist, uh, like the pessimist, uh, the guy who just like wants to just hammer, like I write glowingly positive things all the time because the team is largely really successful and really Mm -hmm. good. But like, I also know when someone says something that doesn't make sense, I'm going to ask because and say like, Hey, that doesn't make any sense for whatever reason. And so, um, I think I I definitely, I don't want to approach it. I don't want to be afraid to ask any question. And I think every question I ask, I will stand behind as fair. Even people who want to tell me, like, there's people who say I'm too hard on Pete. And, like, why do you hate Pete Carroll? Like, I don't hate Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll's a good dude. He's a great coach. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, I like Pete Carroll. None but of what? this is personal. But, like, yeah. <laughs> he, a lot of times he says stuff that, like, makes zero sense. And, like, I want to say, like, hey, this makes no sense. Can we get some clarity on this? So, um, you know, he gave. You know, there were times where he gave me sassy answers on questions I thought were easy. Uh, I remember the Washington game, particularly, um, where I was like, you know, is it concerning that you didn't score the last 28 minutes of the game? Or like, you just hit your cap to a good defense. Like, I don't know how you go there. I'll let you do that. I'll let you do that. I was like, <laughs> again, it was kind of like the Jamal thing where I was expecting, like, you know, like you tip your cap, like there's areas we need to improve and execute better, especially down the stretch, but just really happy to get the win. Cool. You know what I mean? Like those, like you, you, a lot of times you, you ask questions that you feel like you have to ask, but you know what the answer is going to be. Right. It's like that kind of surprised me, but like, I don't know. So I, I, I guess long winded way of saying, I, I appreciate you saying that. I don't think of myself or try to go out of my way to be tough, but I'm not afraid of being tough when I feel like the situation warrants it. And I think that's important. And I think, um, you know, I just, for me, like, I don't want to ever feel like I am serving anybody. Like I'm not like a, you know, oh, I'm just a rust guy. So I'm going to like, I want to, everybody can get it like praise, good, <laughs> bad. Otherwise, like I, I want to be, whether you agree with me or disagree with me and people let me know when they're on both sides. And I appreciate that. I mean, truly, I, I don't say anything and think like my word is gospel. Like mm. I just express and articulate my opinions of things that I feel to hopefully make other people curious and be like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. But like, I don't agree, but I see what he's thinking there. And they can be curious as well. Um, because I think that's such an important part of being a reporter, but also being a fan. Um, but like, I, I hope my goal is to always be fair and to never feel like, um, there's an agenda behind it because there truly isn't, at least not intentionally. And if it ever comes across that way, that's, you know, that's on me and we can always be better. But, 
Um, you know, I really just, I pursue things and I ask questions that I think are, are warranted. And, um, you know, I never, ever want to be the guy who's like, I'm just going to be a jerk just to ruffle feathers for the sake of it. I think my favorite, you mentioned the Washington game. I think my favorite is the road Rams game. I think it was, or like Pete, Pete punted or something. The, the 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 conservatism was there, and I think Joe. Yeah, it was like a fourth and inches to you, open. Yeah, you asked me like, it was a one what score was the game, bo- and then they gave up an eighty yard touchdown <laughs> drive right after. Yeah, 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 and then Pete had like uh, justified the the decision with like uh, I forget wow, and then Joe made the points like, well, th- Pete, they did go down and score. Right, like, oh yeah, that's right. He he punted because he was like, if we didn't get the fourth, it's like a turnover. Then they get the ball and they can just go score. And then I think Joe was like, well, they did go score. So what what are you talking about? And it was just this funny exchange there where it's just like, yeah, no, that's what that's what we need because coaches do need to be challenged. And you know, it's not about like you said, just being a dick, uh, just because. But especially with Pete, he makes the fourth down questioning so easy because so everyone's easy. everyone's like, go for it, and Pete's like, nah, nah, nah. It could be fourth and two inches. And here's my thing, thing. With Pete is Pete when he goes through and explains those, he always uses the negative. Well, like if it didn't work, they've got a thirty yard field or a forty. And it's like, but but what if you did? What, <laughs> what does that do for you? Like, what is the upside of that? Um, and so, yeah, I, I think follow-ups are important. I think it's really important to, like, not just, like, take what you're given. And I think Pete a lot of times expects us to take what we're given. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would hope Pete, like, even respects, like, I don't really like dealing with his questions, but, like, you know, I respect him going there and, like, pushing me on different things. I don't know. Like I said, I mean, I, I try not to be like the get off my lawn, like reporter. Like I feel, I think I'm a pretty positive dude overall, but um, you know, I don't know. It's part of the job. And like, you're never, I also think, I guess we're, you know, that you're never going to please everybody. So like mm-hmm. you write things you believe in, you chase stories you're interested in, you talk about and ask questions of the things you're curious about. And like people will either like you or they won't. And, and that's okay. Like you're not for everybody in, in any part of life, but certainly this job where everything we do is so public and everyone's got an opinion on not just what the team is doing, but what you're doing about it. Um, so it's fascinating. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting in that sense of, of kind of what we do and how our relationship with the team, but also our relationship with the people who consume our content. Yeah, I've kind of like made up a rule in my head. Like if Pete hasn't like bucked back at your question ever, then you ain't asking good enough questions. Because Pete will let you know, like 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 he did with you, like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, what? Yeah. Uh, he did that to me once in a, after a game in person. Was like, I don't know why you're asking me that. Like legitimately, <laughs> yeah. it was like I don't. I forget which game. Uh, oh, it was the. Uh, I think it was the game, the Week 17 game, maybe with where Marshawn didn't get on the field in time and they got the delay, maybe against the Niners, something something like that. But yeah, if yeah. you haven't, everyone for all of our peers, if if Pete ain't said, unless you're like Boyle who works for the team who can only ask so much stuff, but unless you're like, if you're independent and Pete ain't said where are you going with this? Uh, then yeah. you probably, and you're like, you know where I'm going with this. You know, you know exactly why I'm asking this question. You just don't want to talk about it. Do you have, you want to ask the question of the year. It was, I, I can't remember. It, I think it was at the end of the, the end of the season presser. When you asked like, who holds you accountable? Ooh. And he like immediately said my sons. And it was like, huh, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> like that doesn't sound like a great, level of checks and balances <laughs> but then like you know, owner you already know like is super involved in the day-to-day so like dude that would mean i again i give all the credit back to you too of like you're right there with it of like you keep people on their toes as well and again i think it's it's immensely important too because 
the second you just take what we're given and you lose that curiosity, like, you know, that's, that's a, you know, that's how you, you know, nothing good comes from that. Yeah. If we were to take Pete's like, um, explanations at face value on kicking versus going for it, we would come to the conclusion that Michael Dixon and Jason Myers are more valuable than Russell Wilson, you know, based on how, how, yeah. how willing he is to put the game on their feet versus uh, Russell's arm. And that is the uh, last time I checked, Chris, uh, not the case. Uh, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's get you out of here uh, on this, Joe. 2021 Seahawks. Uh, they obviously got the draft. They only got three picks, so who knows. <laughs> but what happens to the Seahawks in 2021? How does it go? Man... <laughs> I, I hate this question because you get you talk you make this you have this we have this conversation we will have this conversation the three of us on other outlets on writing whatever like ten million times over the course of the next couple oh, months yeah, and, for sure. and through August and my answer is very similar to what it was last year it's like mm. they're not going to have the best roster in the league um they continue to play and and hope you know will likely continue to play with small margins to where. Anytime you're playing games that consistently come down to the last five minutes, you're playing with fire and like it makes you incredibly hard to predict what's going to happen. Um, because it's like last year was such a perfect example. They were 12 and four division winner. That's an unbelievable year mm-hmm. by any metric, especially the NFC West. But like that wild card game, like they didn't just lose, they got embarrassed. So, like, you, when you look at that, when you look at the division, the Seahawks will will remain a team with an immensely high floor. I mean, a nine win floor. You add a seventeenth game, so does it make it a ten win floor? I mean, that's kind of the wrinkle to this that we haven't dealt with before. But um, so I will say that they're kind of the same team. They are who they they have been and probably will continue to be. Um, the division is only getting better each and every year. Um, so I'll say so seventeen games, so eleven. 11 and six sounds about right. Six would probably be yeah. my kind of knee jerk prediction, but it, it, you have Russell Wilson on your team. It could be better. It could be better right. than that. And you know, the, you know, the things fall the right way. This is a team that will always have to some degree, a ceiling of getting to the Super Bowl. 11 and six. Yeah. Sounds no. reasonable. No, I, I, I don't, I don't mind that. Uh, I will say, and I don't know if I've, uh, if I've mentioned this, you know, on the show, I talked to someone who uh, last they were with they were behind the scenes uh, last off season. Uh, I talked to someone behind the scenes last off season. I don't think I mentioned this on the show before, but I will now. And it's to Joe's point about like the margins. Uh, I, we were me and this person behind the scenes were discuss. We were kind of arguing um, because this person did not believe that there was a change in the second half of the season. They had they had um, basically heard the premise of the story we wrote and were like. I don't know. You guys are off. And it was like, interesting. And then they were like, hey, go back. Just go back and look at all the ways we basically pulled one out of our ass in 2020 to start the year to go undefeated. And it was like, it was like, yeah, if Alex Madison can just see to his right three feet, he gets the fourth down. If Cam Newton sees to his left three feet. That game is over. Um, there was a, I think it was the Cowboys game. Uh, where like Dak throws a pick, which is kind of a Hail Mary-ish type of play. But it was very interesting to hear from someone who was like with the team was like, yo, look at these margins. Like we on, they were basically trying to convince me, hey, we weren't actually that good. So in the second half of the season, we were just really just getting exposed for who we really, really were. Uh, and like, 
I'm with Joe, man. That's just a dangerous game to kind of be playing year in and year out. Can't win a game in the fourth quarter, Mike. Can't win the game <laughs> oh, the that's the other quarter. one. That's the other one, Pete. I, I bet you Pete's tired of dealing with us on that. Like, he probably really legit wonders, why do they, like, I don't get the joke. <laughs> I think, who, did you try to make the joke to him? He just didn't, he just didn't get it. He just he Yeah, just it was after the board. Jets game. And I was like, man, you can't have some fun after that. People got mad at me for that, too. I was like, they just beat the brakes off the jets and like i can't have some fun like and like whether you got it didn't get clearly he didn't get it but like i was hoping there's gonna be a little bit of self-awareness and pete would be like fourth quarter baby won the game of the fourth quarter and i would have loved it but like <laughs> I was like what do we say they just smoked the jets like everyone has already asked these questions like i want to have some fun and some people had a great time with it and thought it was really funny the whole press room whole press box was laughing and people were like that was out of touch. That was bad taste. You're evil. It's like, oh God, you guys take this too seriously, man. But yeah. You had to laugh a little. Man, thank you guys for uh, tuning in to our first video YouTube channel episode, Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Thank you so much to our guest, Joe Fan, a.k.a. Mr. Joe, Mr. a.k.a. Joe. Oh man, we Mr. need to, Joe. next time we had to, we got to get that clip in there with Mr. With Jamal Adams, man. Actually, we should have Jamal just pop up with a little box in the corner. <laughs> I'm asking like, you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm asking, I'm, I'm asking you. Oh, man. Our next guest now has to be Jamal, man. We just got to, you know, give him a... Get, the, get us lined yeah, up. Yeah, we yes. got to do it, man. But thank you so much, Joe. Anything you want to plug uh, that you got going on uh, on NBC Sports? No, man. I just... All, all appreciation to you guys having me on. I love talking ball with you guys. You know, I, I love talking ball anytime, but I feel like these conversations are always a whole lot of fun. So, uh, you know, you guys know how much I respect I have for you. So, honored to be invited to be a part of the show. Appreciate everyone watching checking it out. And it uh, should be a fun off-season ahead. And... Like I said, man, it's going to be a pretty wild 12 months here for Seattle. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in to Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Again, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. You guys can follow Joe Fan on Twitter. Joe, where's the Joe underscore fan with two N's? Joe underscore fan with two N's. And then uh, I will plug the podcast, Talking Seahawks podcast. We do, there we uh, go, man. Get your plug do, on. Do once <laughs> a week. So uh, check that out. If you're looking for more Seahawks content, uh, start with the Man to Man. Check out the Talking Seahawks podcast as well. And um, you know, again, I'm looking forward to, to all the conversations out this uh, next couple of months. All right, you guys, thank you. On that note, we're out. Peace. Come down. I